Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeffrey M. Roach, and I'm excited to be here with you as we add up health up and transform healthcare through innovative education and workforce solutions. Our healthcare system is facing global workforce crises at all levels and roles. The solution to this challenge requires an ecosystem approach, bringing together healthcare, higher education, and workforce development in a manner that develops new pathways to careers, refining academic programs to ensure they meet the healthcare industry needs, and embracing certificates and certifications as a vital part of the solution. Today, we are joined by Dr. F. Patrick Robinson, president of the Research College of Nursing. Dr. Robinson is an award-winning educator and nationally recognized leader in academic nursing. He writes and presents frequently on innovative teaching, learning practices, curriculum evolution, and academic entrepreneurship. Dr. Robinson is also a champion for social justice and health equity. He has a distinguished record of service to the HIV AIDS care community and contributes thought leadership on multiple advisory boards. He also serves as the chair of the Board of Trustees for the National League for Nursing Foundation, leading philanthropic efforts to support the advancement of excellence in nursing education. Dr. Robinson, it's so good to see you and obviously have another nursing leader here on EdUp Health Up. Just would appreciate if you could take a little bit of time just to tell us a little bit more about your background, what brought you into nursing, and, and certainly you know, what, what you're doing these days. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to be with you uh, today. And thank you for the invitation. So um, my uh, my story in, that got me into nursing is, is pretty typical. So I was raised by a physician father and a nurse mother. So you might say that uh, the business was, was in the genes or in the blood. I followed my uh, mama instead of um, my my daddy. Um, so I am a little bit of a mama's boy. Um, you know, the, I was drawn to the profession because I used to actually go with my dad on the weekends to the hospital on rounds and he'd sit me at the nurse's station. Now you couldn't do that today. In fact, you probably shouldn't have been doing it back then. But I just always found nurses to be the, um, they were just warm and incredibly inviting to me. And I just seemed to fit with the team. And honestly, I have either been, I've been volunteering on nursing units since I was about 12 years old and then was an unlicensed personnel. And I had the distinction of absolutely never having a paid job outside of the, the nursing profession. And I had a very typical sort of, um, and I, I'm a traditional sort of student, if you will, in terms of my entry. I went into nursing school right out of um, high school. I uh, graduated in the midst of another pandemic of this, of the last, um, of the last century, um, HIV AIDS. And I, uh, many members of my community were dying and were sick. And to me, with my newfound knowledge, it was the way for me to, you know, uh, take care of my community. And I did that. Um, it was a, a blessing, had lots of different positions within HIV AIDS care, both as a clinician and a leader always wanted to be a professor. In fact, from the very first day in nursing school when Rosie Pong, and I'll never forget, she's my first clinical instructor. I still have contact with her. I'm like, I can do that. Because um, I just absolutely love um, being um, with students. So, um, you know, transition to a very 
traditional academic career, spent uh, 10 years as a nurse scientist, starting my uh, research career and was just driven to higher levels of trying to make an impact through two deanships, then a provost position. And uh, I guess I reached the, the top here because I just finished my first year as president of Research College of Nursing and I'm here in Kansas City, Missouri. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that's interesting is so, you know, we have a lot in common. I'm a mama's boy. And uh, also, you know, growing up, I spent a lot of time on the uh, also when my mom was a nurse. Um, and actually, you know, I laugh about it and, and you'll appreciate this. Uh, our hospital did take your child to work day. And one of my mm -hmm. fondest memories was, uh, uh, you know, hanging out on, on the uh, labor and delivery unit, which, you know, yeah. today would never be allowed. Uh, but but this was in the 90s and um, it was allowed. And uh, I remember I spilled my soda all over all the uh, charts and uh, the nurse manager was not so happy. And and I I remember it fondly because uh, several years later, uh, that nurse manager was leaving and we went to her house as part of a going away party. And she as soon as I got there, she said, that was that little boy that that ruined all of us. <laughs> and uh, but but interesting, I want to ask you, um, I was looking back. Uh, when you were previously at, uh, during your time at Capella. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously, you know, academics and, and healthcare has always been in your, you know, to your point within your DNA. But you had shared that um, your mentor, uh, Dr. Joan Shaver, uh, particularly that uh, to this day, you often ask yourself, what would Joan do? And I want to yeah. ask you to share that because when I read that, I was like, this is really uh, very fascinating. And it's definitely something from a leadership perspective I often say many nurses don't always think that they're a leader. And yet nurses actually in every aspect of a nurse are leaders. And so yeah. I'm curious for you to share, you know, what what did you learn through through that mentorship and what are those, you know, key things that you ask yourself all the time from what Joan mentored you on? Yeah, well, thank you actually for asking that. I just talked to her for Oh my God, I think, you know, on anymore you can tell the time you're talking to someone. So I think we uh, clocked in at, at two hours um, last Saturday. So um, when I graduated, when I finished my um, PhD, I um, wanted a tenure track position. I was very intent on becoming a funded nurse scientist. It was the path that I thought I had to take um, because it was what I was um, prepared for. So I actually did get a postdoctoral fellowship, which is really the only way you can, um, you know, uh, leverage yourself into a tenure track position at a research one university. And Dr. Joan Shaver was my postdoctoral um, research mentor. She was also the dean of the University of Illinois at um Chicago. Hmm. So um, she, it, it's funny. So she has, she's played so many different roles in my life, but the thing that sort of struck me about her presence in my life, that was different than a lot of other people at the time who were trying to give me advice was that she wasn't trying to make a mini me. She hmm. wasn't trying to form, she was an eminent nurse scientist. She was trained as a physiologist. Um, she's world renowned in terms of um, women's health. Hmm. But what she did is take a lot of time and listen to 
my desires, my dreams, um, what I wanted. She trained me very well as a scientist, and I was um, successful for a period, but she caught on very quickly that my passion was innovation. My passion was making a difference. And I had a big passion for students and that I was aspiring, although I didn't really think I was at that time, aspiring to um, leadership. Hmm. So within my, so she did hire me then on to faculty in a tenure track position. And then really within, I think two years, she gave me my first, um, she gave me my first um, leadership position wow. as the executive assistant dean of the college. So what she taught me is a few things, um, but one of them is um, to listen um, very intently um, and also to realize that you don't have to win everybody over. You just have to win a few people over. And that there's something very important about working with the willing, not ignoring those that aren't willing. But if you think that anything you do on a grand scale is going to be done by consensus and everybody being happy, because I was, you know, I, I was a people pleaser, you know, I liked where I wanted people to um, like me. So she taught me to neutralize the negativity mm -hmm. um, to, you know, acknowledge it and um then to to move on so i think in the the podcast you listen to i was like that's what i call on every day and as more and more as i've elevated myself in um my leadership um, career i just find myself confronted by increasing amounts of change aversion you know you're accountable for much more in terms as you go up and you cannot also there is even as a provost I was always like well some of that's the president's fault but we're going to do it anyway well now I don't have that so <laughs> really it really is um about trying to make change in a way that is um nimble and effective and not letting the naysayers pull you pull you down um so that's kind of what i learned from joan and that's what i try to think about when i'm making some of those decisions that's really you know very insightful and and i'm you know curious you know when you think about it obviously you know you're a nurse you've been around nursing your whole career to your point when you think of um where we are you know in the united states today within the field of nursing uh you know we're at a time record numbers of nurses leaving nursing uh, altogether. Um, you know, nursing enrollment, you know, historically, you know, has been strong. Uh, data suggests today it's, it's uh, you know, taking a dip. Um, and, and, and some argue it's still stable. I'm not sure, you know, that's necessarily 100% the case, but we're at a really interesting time. And I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, having been at some, you know, very big institutions that have been stalwarts in nursing education, um, but also now being at a a nursing school that's part of a health system, mm -hmm. so you you're really getting a unique experience. And when you look at your career, have had that throughout. Mm -hmm. Where are we, and what do we need to be thinking about uh, as it relates to you know this critical issue from a workforce perspective? Yes, you know um, the answers are not easy, as you know. But um, I also don't think they're 
elusive. And I agree with you, Jeffrey, that, you know, what the, the, the preliminary data that has recently been released about enrollment in nursing schools um, does suggest we've uh, had a, a decrease, but it's also self-report data and it's not complete data. And so I do believe that we are seeing um, something different historically. And my lived experience here in at Research College of Nursing would um, validate that. Hmm. Uh, very, um, this is a uh, this is um, a venerated institution. Been um, part of this community for 120 years, highest quality um, education, and we are seeing headwinds. Wow, um, and decrease cohort sizes. I'm uh, happy to serve on one of the advisory boards of one of the community colleges here in Kansas City. Kansas City sits at the nexus of three um, counties, and all three of them have very robust community college systems. And for the first time, um, they're seeing decreases in, um, in enrollment. So this is very real. This is very real. So to me, the solution, or at least the warning right now is the pipeline is no longer the answer. I don't know if the pipeline's been the answer for a long time, but it certainly is not now. It's not physically possible. <laughs> you yep. know, if you look at, I think you were referring to the National Council of State Boards of Nursing Study, which came out on April 13th. So it was the first time that the pandemic effects were put into a shortage model. And it was alarming. I mean, the estimate is that we are going to lose 20% of our workforce in five years. Yeah. Five years, not 20 years. You know, it's not, it's not like climate change where we're trying to do something for our children and our grandchildren. This is, this is, this is the, this is immediate. Mm -hmm. um, so, the best efforts to build that pipeline are impossible um, at a time when that pipeline seems to, the funnel on the other end of that pipeline seems to not be as um, full right now. So I do think this is the time where we as a healthcare community, as nursing leaders, innovators, really look at what nursing care is going to look like in the acute care setting. Forget about the... Um, community saying there's all sorts of needs out there, but really what we're facing now, I think, is how are we going to support sick people in hospitals? And that really means it's not going to be registered nurses who are doing the type of care that we've um, been doing. We are seeing all over the country, we are seeing here in Kansas City, I'm sure your listeners will validate this across the country, that we are bringing LPNs back into acute care, They've probably always existed in acute care in some settings, um, but there was a push for a lot of reasons, and I think there were enough RNs that, so we're seeing that model um, um, come, re, be, there's a resurgence of that model. Um, I think so we're going to see more licensed practical nurses. I think we're going to see more unlicensed personnel. Mm -hmm. And I think that those are not negatives if it's done right, because we as nurses have always sort of practiced at the level of our licensure, 
but on all kinds of other levels too, because we are physical care, we are physical caregivers. I don't think that's possible anymore. So it's that delegation. The challenge is that's not been the way we've educated nurses for a long time. Now, mm -hmm. my mama, she graduated from nursing school in 1952. Wow. So she will tell you that she graduated understanding team nursing. Mm -hmm. And she had all those people underneath. There was a different time. Acuity was different. But we've got away from that. I was educated in the early 80s. And we were actually educated that, well, there's going to be no one but the baccalaureate prepared RN at the bedside. And we were going to do something called primary nursing. And we were going to follow that patient 24 hours, even when we were off shift. And we'd have a small number of patients. And we were going to do everything for them. That was actually never a reality. But those are the models that have been popular the whole idea of magnet status. It's a wonderful um, designation. It does mean something. I, I, I validate that it means something, but it's not, but there's going to have to be lots of other people besides baccalaureate prepared nurses doing a lot of the care. And it's going to leave the RNs and higher educated RNs doing not supervisory roles, but far more sophisticated case and care um, management. And we have to pivot to there really quickly if we're going to lose 20% of our workforce <laughs> in yeah. the next five years. And, and honestly, you know, to your point, I mean, exactly what you just said has been validated by by some of the more transformational chief nursing executives. I mean, I'm sure you you follow Sil Trepanier out of Providence. I do. Sil, you know, Sil has said multiple times, you've got to change the model of care. You've got to change the model of practice. And um, in fact, Sil and I were having this conversation over a wonderful bottle of wine uh, a couple months ago in Orlando. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that, and actually he and I just saw each other at, at Becker's uh, last month and we were having a similar conversation. But, but I do think to your point, there also has to be, within our healthcare system as a whole, this understanding that uh, nurses are also value. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, there's this new movement to look at, uh, you know, payment structure, uh, reimbursement structure for nursing care, which I actually think is, is you know, as a hospital person uh, is, is really exciting to see. I mean, who knows where it'll go? Cause we know we've seen this in the past, but, but it's exciting. Um, I'm curious though, you know, to your point, when you look at, um, you know, nursing is sort of like this type of a field in healthcare, that to your earlier point, a lot of innovations in our healthcare ecosystem come from nursing. Um, but oftentimes, people don't necessarily acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. What do what do healthcare leaders, mm -hmm. as well as nurses need to do and be thinking about to really help us change this? Because this has been a, a long standing thing. Um, you know, I look at, I look at, to your point, you know, when you reference your mom, I mean, my mom, you know, was not a bachelor's prepared nurse, went to a community college, served for over 30 years, uh, you know, now is retired, but, but, uh, you know, still is a nurse. Um, but, you know, she will always say, I would have taken my skills against any other nurse. Um, because what I knew is I knew how to take care of patients. Um, and, uh, you know, she, you know, she and I talk all the time and she's like, isn't it interesting now LPNs are coming back? Like, you know, at the end of the day, 
we've created this system where, you know, we like you now, but then we don't want you here, but now we really need you. So now we want you back. Why yeah, can't- it's a, it's a tough not, message, right? Like everyone is essential. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, everybody's essential. Yeah. And we're seeing it today where nurses are saying, well, we need more patient care techs because yeah, we're yeah. doing a job that a patient care tech yeah. would do. What yeah. do we need to be thinking about even in the education side to help everyone understand that as we move forward, this truly is interdisciplinary. Yeah. Um, it will always be. Yeah. So it's funny, just a comment uh, you and I had. Uh, my mom is no longer with us. I, I lost her uh, two years ago, but oh. it sounds like there was a lot of similarities. In fact, she would come home when my dad was um, sick. She, we lost him 15 years, but she'd say, what in the heck are you teaching these nurses? <laughs> so like, I, can't say, I said, trust me, I was a professor at the time. I'm like, I had none of dad's nurses. But she goes, they're always at their um, computer. So you are right. Our mom's generation, their skills were second to none. And um, for some reason, we've lost that in our um Mm-hmm. And and how we um how we talk about the bachelor's prepared nurse and we've othered um, associate degree nurses and we've othered mm-hmm. diploma nurses and none of that has actually helped us in in the the, the long run. So I I think part of it you're you're, you're talking about um you know sort of this is my um, feminist philosophy coming out but you're talking about an oppressed. Um, group, you know, nurses, um, historically, it's a um, women's profession, so has historically been oppressed at the hands of male physicians and male hospital administrators. So the idea that our voices, the idea that um, what we have to offer, even when it's highly innovative, even when it's highly innovative in terms of product development and and the development of new technology doesn't get the focus. It doesn't get the support. It doesn't get um, the um, sponsorship. So it's 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 a conundrum historically. I hope that that's changing. I hope that it's changing now that we have, um, you know, where physic where women make up more than fifty percent of physicians. Although unfortunately, they don't make up. 50% of physicians in leadership positions and positions of power. And we do have an evolved understanding, uh, or we have um, uh, mandates for and evidence that we are creating more inclusive environments and hospital administration for women, people of color, the LGBTQ um, community. So I think that we are set up well for um, nurses to claim um, their voice in a um, better way. I think part of it is also um, starts with us as nurse educators. Um, it's We used to call it socialization. The new understanding of what we do in nursing school is really professional formation. You sort of look at it the same way formation is comes sort of from the um, religious community when we talk about priests and nuns and religious formation. So that term has been adopted. It actually came out of the Carnegie um, uh, study on uh, radical transformation in nursing education, that part of what we're doing is looking at professional formation, teaching about voice, 
teaching about um, the inherent power of the um, profession. And like I said, I was educated to think that nursing was going to do everything. Um, I'm sure maybe somewhere in school they told me about a respiratory therapist, maybe not. I mean, I encountered them, physical therapists and so forth. But there's much more intentionality, I think, now in education about that as the um, imperative across all the health professions is actually to teach interprofessional care, not in a hierarchy, although we don't always get cooperation from our physician colleagues about that. Um, you yeah. know, of course we don't. Um, and, and sometimes some very uncivil ways on, on social media and so forth, but, um, and at the policy table, but, you know, it really is all about the team in an interprofessional team, leadership is um, situation dependent. And there are absolutely times on a leadership team where you're on, a, on an interprofessional care team where your patient care technician is going to be the most skilled person on the team um, to, to, to do a job. So hopefully we're helping with that, but it can't stop then with nursing school because there's always been this thing is like, okay, now they're out of nursing school. Now we got to teach them about the real world. Well, the more and more we've noticed that that happens, the more and more we as educators, practitioners, and nurse leaders in service have to come together and say, what the heck? Because mm -hmm. that just can't, uh, that can't keep happening. Um, you mentioned I'm embedded in a, in a big healthcare system. Um, I'm actually physically co-located on a huge urban um, quaternary care uh, medical center. So we do believe that the nursing leadership is an extension of our faculty. We have um, put together innovative models, dedicated education units, so that we actually have faculty who are in primarily in charge of the evaluation, but that mm -hmm. our students are with practicing nurses most of the time so that we are really lessening that. And so part of that is also understanding the role of the PCT. Um, we actually encourage other, um, this is a long answer, Jeffrey, I'm sorry. It's probably, okay. it's probably no, no, violating okay. all kinds of podcast rules. No, I've it's helpful. Media, I've had lots of media training and they'd say, you talk too much, Patrick. Um, but the other thing we do that I think is different than other nursing schools, you know, one of the worst things you do in nursing school is you tell students you can't work. Well, I don't pay any students mortgage. So until I'm will, until I'm able and willing to do that, I have no right ever to tell a student they can't work. But what we do do is work very closely with our healthcare um, center and we ensure that patients uh, our students have jobs as PCTs. Mm -hmm. That is an incredible part of their learning. And what's more, because these are going to be their nurses, yeah. if we do our job right, I mean, um, they work around their schedule. So if they have four hours in between classes, they can pick up that shift. I think those are the innovations yeah. that have to continue to happen in order to really close that gap get students to understand the full context of the environment they're going yeah. to um, practice in. Yeah. Well, and you know, you raise such an important point there too, because if the health system invests and actually 
pays for them to become a certified patient care tech and then helps, uh, you know, fund and, and I, I'll argue pay for all of the nursing degree. Uh, imagine the change that we would see over time, uh, you know. Well, we do do that. So I'll yeah. tell you a little bit about more of our um, inventive, our, our innovative uh, models. So we actually offer students, um, and 90% of our students actually take this. We, act, we actually offer our students loan forgiveness. So they actually, the um, HCA Midwest Division, we're part of HCA Healthcare, um, we are seven hospitals here in the greater Kansas City, Missouri area. No money up front. Um, their tuition is um, just not that we, we write it off um, while they're in school. And then it is part of loan forgiveness in their first two years of practice within the Midwest division. That's so, you know, a lot of a lot of places are like, okay, well, I want to stay under that 5250 taxable and all of that. Well, we're like, no, we're we're going to be bolder than that. Yeah. Um, so now it is it is taxable. So you have to remember once you start your RN, that's going to be divided into I don't know how many, you know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, how many ever pay periods that is over um, two years. But the other part of that, so they are paying for their education, but the other part of that, we're creating a nurturing ecosystem from day one. I told, um, I was telling you before we started, Jeffrey, today is actual orientation. We admit three times a year. So they are part of our ecosystem within the healthcare system from today until they graduate. And they can shadow any nurse on any unit or a leader from um, the beginning. We really want this to be an extensive interview, an understanding of what the, what's there to offer. So it's really one of, I think, prototypical best practice awesome models that um, I wish could be replicated um, across the nation. I mean, I'm very proud of it. And I had nothing to do with it because it was all in place before I came here. <laughs> yeah, well, you're gonna put your you're gonna put something special, you know, within <laughs> I'm sure. Will. But it's yeah. nice to be able to, it's it's actually nice to bask in uh, you know, we always we always uh get to where we are on the um shoulders of giants. So there's just been yep. some very innovative leadership here yep. over the decades. And I'm I'm um actually benefiting from that. That's amazing. Well, it's, it's such a great story. And, you know, I want to, uh, obviously we could go on much longer, but from a time perspective, I want to ask you, you know, the same question every guest gets. Um, and you've spoken to some of this through, you know, talking about the innovations, but we've got to be bold, uh, mm -hmm. particularly when we look at this workforce crisis. And I just want to ask you if there's any, if there's anything else that you feel we should be thinking about uh, in healthcare and or, or both in higher education, what, what should we be doing as it relates to the workforce uh, challenges of today, but also, you know, to our earlier part of the discussion, those challenges are not going away anytime soon. So what do we need to do to be bold and innovative to make it mm -hmm. make a change? Well, um, quite a bit. Um, so I think, uh, I think I'll start actually from a regulatory standpoint and uh, nursing education um, from a regulatory perspective is a hodgepodge of um, 50 nurse practice acts that go from one state not um one state has no language in the nurse practice <laughs> act 
uh, on nursing education. So you can hang your shingle up as soon as you're approved by the higher education authority, all the way to um, states that are just actually artificially um, keeping the the ability to um, produce new quality nurses um, artificially low. Now we benefit from that because we have students from those states who we have a one-year accelerated program if you already have a, um, a degree. So, I mean, but the, the fact that we have people move a thousand miles from their home to get a nursing degree to move back says there's some regulatory um, problems. So I think it's fighting um, the, the state legislatures to ensure that we have the ability to scale and grow nursing education. But I think the second part is we have to figure out a way, and part of it's regulatory, is we there isn't enough clinical spots. Well, we've been wringing our hands about this now for 20 years. And so somebody do something about it. We either have to decrease, we have to, we have to decrease the numbers, we have to focus what that clinical experience is. I mean, there's still some states that are um, not allowing, you know, we have we had a landmark study by the National Council of State Boards of Nursing that said we can safely, which means there were no difference in outcomes when up to 50% of um, clinical time was substituted with simulation. Mm -hmm. But we have, and I guess this happened because we have a lot of legislators um, that um, deny science on all sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. And this is one of them, you know? So we have states that don't allow um, that. But we have to figure this out. So um, nursing, uh, nursing administrators and leaders in practice have to open up their doors to train more nurses. Yeah. Uh, they have to. I don't know if that means doubling the number of students, if it means developing a whole new way to think about what a direct care, a direct care patient clinical experience is. I mean, in some ways, our clinicals look, well, probably a lot like our moms did. So there is a part of that that still looks very apprenticeship and opportunistic, meaning mm -hmm. you're with eight students for what's now like six hours a day. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I guess, or 12 hours. I mean, it depends on how you're doing it, but it's opportunistic. It's like, okay, you do with what happens. Well, that was how our moms were probably trained, but my mom had a whole, had, you know, had was in charge of 20 patients by the time she was six months into her um, school. That's just not how we do it. It's like one or two patients. So what happens in that clinical, that's a directed learning um, act, activity, and maybe that's a way to scale it, but we just can't keep saying there's no clinical capacity and thinking that someone's not got to get. So I always encourage my educator colleagues to, yeah, got to start giving as you as much as you can from a regulatory standpoint, because that's where it also gets cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, because you've got states that um, that shows my age. They probably, I think that commercial hasn't been on since probably the 80s. But um, there's <laughs> it was on in the 90s. Come on. I remember <laughs> was it. it? Okay. I remember it. Okay. 
because I remember the 70s, but that's for another time. But there are states that are saying you have to have a certain number of hours on sick children in an acute care setting. Well, the birth rate dropped after the recession in 2008, and it's never recovered. So there aren't as many children, and you got to really be pretty dang sick now for a child to be hospitalized. So that's just archaic. Um, so I guess it's it's really just being bold and not waiting for all the data because we've been waiting, we've been sitting, wringing our hands, waiting for data and waiting for people to, and in fact, the power is like in here amongst the nursing um, brain set. Yeah. Someone's just got to push and do it. I know I do it. I've lost jobs because of it. I'm serious, but that's okay too, because I find yeah. new jobs where that will be um, appreciated and we got to be bold like that. Yeah. Well, and to your point, especially especially when you see um, there really doesn't need to be any additional data based on what we know today and what we see coming. So we've got to really be thinking very differently. So uh, obviously I know we could go on much longer and really do appreciate you know you taking this time on such a busy day. Uh, at Research College of Nursing, and and uh, you know, just want to thank you, you know, for this opportunity and wonderful conversation, and obviously all the work that you do, not just to advance nursing professional practice and care, but also to 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 transform the future nurses uh, and current nurses who are advancing their careers to do what they do best, which is take care of patients and do it without with equity in mind. So, thank you, Dr. Robinson, for for all that you do, and for all of our guests, and and uh, and also for our listeners. Um, I think we've heard great conversation today. And, and you know, the word here is bold. Uh, Dr. Robinson obviously is a bold nursing leader. And uh, let's remember in our whole healthcare ecosystem, this is Nurses Month. Uh, and so let's remember that nurses are bold. Uh, they are the transformers in our healthcare ecosystem. So I want to thank you, Dr. Robinson, for joining us here on EdUp Health Up. And to all of our uh, listeners, I want to thank you for all that you do as well. 